Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about House of Hades, chapters 49 through 56. All right, I wanted to apologize like in the beginning because I'm looking back through my notes and I definitely wrote down every single detail that happened. <laughs> I think it's because I love these chapters so much. I love Leo and Calypso so much. And I mm-hmm. know that they're not very popular among the fandom, especially since Trials of Apollo. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt like I had to defend them. I was like, listen, if I tell you the story that you've already read, then you'll believe me that they're a very cute couple and they had a very cute, be cute, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. As if it's going to make it different. I, I'm just going to, by the way, when we do read Trials of Paul, I'm just going to close my eyes to any part where they don't seem cute and completely That well sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be telling me about it, or I'll even be telling you about it. And I was like, I can't believe that didn't happen. Like, that's amazing. All right. Well, okay. So this is my formal and only apology for the length of this episode it's probably unnecessarily long but i'm going to go into the details i know it's controversial so here's a summary time for my favorite chapters of this series and also more bad things happen to annabeth and percy as usual so excited i also am like is it controversial or are we just like (laughs) surrounded by people who like to pick things apart I mean, that's fair, too. I, I always thought it was really popular, but... I think but it might be. I think that the internet just um, elevates the voices of people that hate things. That's fair. I also think that maybe, obviously, there's a group of people who haven't read The Trials of Apollo, and I feel like yeah. those people mm-hmm. might be in the same boat as me. Yeah. And the people mm-hmm. who have might be a little bit louder about it because True. they didn't like what they read. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I, I used to see the, the cutest little fan art on Pinterest back in the day, like, mm-hmm. about this chapter in particular, so, or these chapters in particular, so I'm going to ignore it. Yes. So here we go, Leo's chapters 49 through 52. So if you remember, uh, our friend girl boss Kione has catapulted Leo through the sky and Leo wakes up as he's free falling after being chucked into the wind. Leo realizes he's about to hit the water with a velocity that would probably kill him. Luckily for him, even unconscious, he's holding onto his Archimedes sphere. He wouldn't let that thing go no matter what. He starts tinkering around with it as he's falling trying to solve his deadly problem and essentially turns the sphere into like a mini helicopter strapped to his chest. He manages not to hit the water and instead aims himself at an island in the distance. Unfortunately, the sphere essentially goes boom as it like over accelerates and if Leo wasn't fireproof, he probably would have died. He manages to end up on the beach of the island and Leo's devastated and so upset thinking he broke his precious little sphere it takes him a moment to realize that the island isn't populated with any people, but somehow he has managed to crash into something. A little picnic table with China is now completely destroyed inside the crater he made when he landed. He finds his sphere still intact a couple yards away, steaming and making whirring noises. Leo scoops it up. This is his baby. He treats it like a child. It's very oh, cute. Yeah. Leo scoops it up and sits down to work on fixing his baby with when a beautiful goddess interrupts him and demands to know why he blew up her dining table. 
Leo immediately dislikes this girl. She's described as looking about Leo's age, which is 15, and incredibly beautiful with golden eyes, brown hair, and pale skin. Leo is immediately triggered because she's so hot. And he's like, she reminds me of all the girls who were really mean to me in high school. Where I was like kind of rolling my eyes at that part, even when I first read it as a kid. Um, but I'm also like kind of like saying when I see a certain type of person, my initial judgment is to compare them to a person that mm. like might have been mean or rude to me before. Yeah. I have such a hard time believing he immediately dislikes her because with like Kione, he was immediately like, I love you. Step <laughs> on me. <laughs> he learned his lesson, I guess. He, yeah, I guess he grew and learned and he's in so like is absorbed in his like own issues. He's like, this is not a good time for me. Yeah. He immediately gets uh, really defensive and sarcastic, so he kind of fake apologizes for not controlling his fall, and the girl reacts by screaming at the sky, you want to make my curse even worse? Which is a good rhyme, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> she's furious that not only she exiled, but she's now stuck with this boy who she hates and is ruining her peace. Leo is annoyed, but he's hoping that the girl will have a way off the island, so she clearly wants him gone so bad. She tells him to tell her he wants to leave Ogigia, and when he, which I always think it's really funny when Rick does this, where he like helps pronounce I, like things in um in the book as if the characters are have only seen them spelled out rather than pronounced at their face. Yeah, but not everything. He lets us on our own for for Clitus. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he wanted to sound that out for the children. <laughs> he was hoping the children would read it as. Cletius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Basically, when he says that, uh, apparently a magic raft will appear and take him wherever he wants to go. She says that Leo is obviously a mistake and he will be gone soon. Leo's really hurt by this, but decides he doesn't want to stay anyway. So um, he does what he's told, but obviously no magic raft appears and the girl stops off in frustration. Leo doesn't want to follow the girl but he's hungry thirsty he's a bit on fire and he thinks that annoying her is kind of a great pastime so he follows after her so chapter 50 the path leads leo to a beautiful gardening cave we are reminded that calypso is the queen of cottage court once again she's got like a <laughs> vegetable garden she's got beautiful spices all around everything's like decorated really well and she's attending to said garden while she cries Leo suddenly feels bad. It's hard to annoy someone when they're crying. They are at a bit of an impasse. Leo can't leave. He also technically apparently can't die or age on the island, and this girl and Leo don't want him to be there. Leo is a fix-it king and says there's a solution to every problem and asks for more details. And this is where we get a chunk of the backstory that we learn that her name is Calypso, she's the daughter of Atlas, and then she kind of tells Leo about Percy and about her curse. Leo is confused because in Percy's story to Leo, which I thought was really funny that I'm like, I think they've spoken to each other canonically in the book maybe four times, but Leo and Jason keep hinting at Percy has told them his life story (laughs) where Jason's like, I've heard so many things about Nico from Percy. I'm like, when did he speak to you? Do you guys have sleepovers and you just like stay up chatting and gossiping about like people? I don't did he be like, what about your pal? Who were you with before Annabeth, Percy? And Percy's like, well, I was on an island with this girl who, like, kind of fell in love with me, and then there was this other girl I kissed once. Like, 
<laughs> now she's an oracle. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Percy gets, like, really uncomfortable talking about Rachel, who is his active mm-hmm. friend, in front of Annabeth. So I'm imagining if he's trying to tell Leo about Calypso, they're doing it in a corner of the ship where she's not yeah. there. Yeah. And also, like, the way that Leo describes it is like, oh, Percy gets, you know, stuck on this island and this girl falls in love with him. And I'm like, Percy's such an asshole for explaining it that yeah. way. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't should just fall in love, you know. I know, it's, it's, like, it's hard not to, you know, yeah. with all of this going on. All the but, you know, I have Annabeth. <laughs> <laughs> in Percy's story to Leo, Calypso is described as lovely and super helpful and nurturing. And Leo's like, this Calypso's really annoying and really mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> Calypso is upset because she's been forgotten by the gods and by Percy, and she's still serving her time. Leo follows her into the cave and sees chores doing themselves, and I think it's like Sleeping Beauty's cottage core, with even like cake falling over and all of that. Also, it's filled with crystals that light everything up. She's a crystal girl. She's a crystal. She charges them by moonlight. You gotta do that. Mm, Yeah. Leo is stung when Calypso says that the gods have insulted her by sending her a boy she could never fall in love with, leading Leo to do his typical little spiral of, like, Jason was here. (laughs) Then we wouldn't have a hard time. If Jason was in this position, he would have killed it. I'm like, he probably would have stayed knocked out. Like, Percy actively, (laughs) the only reason Calypso falls in love with Percy is because he's unconscious for maybe three weeks of the, like, four weeks he was there. That's true. She had to care for him and nurse him back. He wasn't his full annoying self yet. <laughs> no, I think she liked having a little doll to, like, care for. Mm-hmm. She needs mm-hmm. a cat or a dog to gently care for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Leo decides to work by himself and figure out a way to get off the island without talking to Calypso anymore. So chapter 51, Leo has a horrible couple of days. There's nothing to do on the island. The nights are cold. He can't send any iris messages out. He doesn't even dream. He's losing track of days, and Calypso tells him that time works a little differently on the island, increasing Leo's anxiety that his friends are like literally dying at war without him. Calypso sends her invisible servants with some foods and new clothes to Leo, but mostly they avoid each other. Leo builds a camp a little ways away from Calypso's house, this cave thing. He remembers Odysseus's astrolabe, astrolabe he got from the dwarves a couple chapters ago i think it was this book was it this book it was this book oh my god there's so many narrators in this one yeah i guess yeah like i think that's the last time we heard from leo yeah that it was and then Mm -hmm. because we didn't we jumped back to piper and jason Mm mm-hmm and then hazel too i think yeah yeah with the with the sea pirate yeah it feels like each section is like a different book even though they're not that long of chapters so much happens and it's also really funny because when he recalls a character from this exact book because it's a new narrator he introduces them all over again yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and it's really a bit irritating because it'd be one thing when he introduced like in pjo every single book he like introduced the plot and the idea of dipping gods and all that stuff because you know kids pick up books at random this is the exact same book. Like, we yeah. have to have read the earlier parts to get to this part. Yeah. It's because yeah. he put so much in this, he probably also was forgetting, like, <laughs> what did Leo get from the dwarves? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, the astrolabe 
of he got from the dwarves doesn't work. And he's like, oh, Odysseus probably made it here when he was stranded. And um, he's reminded that it doesn't work because the dwarves said that it's missing a crystal, which is a secret connection for later. Which I also went on a mini little rant because I've been working on design all week where like who thinks of like i get that he made it on probably this island but can you imagine you create this awesome equipment and it only works using a very rare secret crystal on an island that disappears <laughs> once you leave that is so extra <laughs> so stupid that is like promising that the once the crystal is removed or runs out i don't know how what happens to the crystal you're like completely screw screwed yep <laughs> anyway, he thinks about Keone's intentions. Did she want him to be in limbo forever, knowing the gods had forgotten to lift the curse, or the curse had gone wonky because the gods are having split like personalities at the moment? Or does the curse actually work completely fine, and he, he got sent over knowing Calypso would never fall in love with someone like Leo? Leo takes a walk through the forest around the beach and discovers some buried bronze. It's a bunch of discarded bronze, celestial bronze items, probably tossed out from Olympus by Hephaestus. Leo finds some wires, some gears, and other things. Leo thanks his dad and lugs everything back to the campsite. After that, the days go by very quickly. He makes a lot of noise, first making a forge, recasting the scraps, and working. Calypso finally comes around to complain about the noise. Leo tells her he's trying to get off the island, and also he like makes a little bit of a note that she looks really hot and it really irritates him that she's hot. <laughs> Calypso has brought him food. It's like it adds fury to the mm-hmm. fact that he's mad or he's mad at her because it's like digging into that rejection or yes. just that's the way he's built. <laughs> yep. Calypso has brought him some food because apparently he hasn't eaten in two days. Leo's a bit touched that she noticed. She's like, hey, is she watching me for two days? Anyway, not that he cares. Mm -hmm. The next time Calypso visits, Leo is about to finish up his project. She brings him exact replicas of the clothes that he was wearing when he arrived that got burnt up. She tells him that she added a bit of magic to make it flame resistant. Leo teases her lightly for caring enough to make things for him and Calypso manages to get back at him by insinuating all the little fixes he's made around her house is because he likes her, which I think is peak romance because Leo doesn't know what to say. <laughs> the banter. The banter. I think that's the thing about this cha- these chapters. I enjoy the banter and I can't, unless I read the chapters out loud on this podcast, I can't really cut caps. <laughs> also, like, people should be reading this regardless. I don't think yeah. anyone's listening to us. It's just me fighting an invisible enemy who is telling me that these chapters are bad. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're like, I must prove it. I know, I'm like already arguing. Everyone else is like, yeah, we love these chapters too much. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah, you're ready to fight. Anyway, Calypso asks Leo what he's working on, and in the reflection of his sphere, Leo realizes it's kind of like he's implying he's a bit hotter now because he's like chiseled because he's been working a lot, but he also looks a bit weird because he's like hasn't showered or cut his hair or anything in like a week or so. Um, anyway, he shows her his scene device, which is like high key FaceTime, and she says that it won't work, but he tries to show off and immediately just catches on fire. 
Calypso suggests that he try musical invocation, which I was like, why did she <laughs> think of that? And she just begins to sing, which I was like, imagine she's like a really horrible singer, or imagine she starts <laughs> rapping, and oh, that's how so she good. gets, or yodeling. How would you <gasps> react to that? Like, you just have to sit there and like, let it happen. Yeah, magic yodeling. <laughs> Reminds me of that goat from your favorite movie. <gasps> Hoodwink. Hoodwink. The big yeah. prepared goat. <laughs> icon, an icon. A living legend. Is he alive? He was pretty old in the He's movie. alive in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> the goat is dead and gone. <laughs> anyway, Leo is enchanted and the fa- fancy FaceTime actually starts working. He sees Camp Half-Blood preparing for war. He sees Clarice, he sees the whole squad, they're all getting set up. The Romans are marching through a vineyard towards camp, not far away from it. He sees the hairy demon dwarves he paid, harassing the Roman troops like they promised. They are slowing them down, but definitely not stopping them. The scene changes to Reyna. This is where I was just kind of like, um, Leo's like, Reyna, who is the praetor from? I'm like, we know who she is! <laughs> we just talked about her two chapters ago! Anyway, the scene changes to Reyna fly- flying through a storm on her pegasus, wounded and clearly being attacked. A griffin is attacking her and her horse, and then the mirror just cuts the call. It loves a cliffhanger. Oh yeah. Leo is horrified and asks Calypso to sing again. She's like, we need to see what happens. And Calypso is... Clearly not, like, on the same page, because she asks if that's his girlfriend. And I was just like, first of all, I had tried to set them up earlier in this series. And You're like, I tried all, that already, okay, Calypso? Like, take a step back. And second of all, like, um, this is not the time. Like, even if that was, like, especially if that was his girlfriend, don't you think that he should see if she's going to die or not? <laughs> Calypso. Weird time to react to that. I mean, she's 15, Plus or minus 3,000 years. Yeah. I know. No, it says that she's 15. Like, she looks 15. But she's, like, she has, like, 3,000 years of knowledge, just like Edward Cullen. <laughs> one might argue. I mean, one might argue that Edward Cullen actually has a lot more because Calypso's been on the island for at least, yeah, for 3,000 of those years she's been on the island. She's older than 3,000 years. But um, Edward Cullen has been to high school. <laughs> <laughs> By choice. <laughs> By choice. Every single time. That's true. So yeah. really, does he know much more? He's actually draining knowledge every time he goes back to high school and they keep cutting the curriculum. <laughs> Famously, he goes to a rural high school, you know? Like That's true. <laughs> Forks? Forks, yeah. It's small. Yeah. Anyway, before Leo can be confused about why she cares, uh, the ground rumbles and our favorite grandmother, Gaia, shows up in the sand. She says that Leo's friends will die, and she tried to help Leo make better choices, but he chose to join the quest anyway, and now he's trapped and the mortal world will die. Calypso tells Gaia she's not welcome, and Gaia taunts her about being forgotten and tries to trap her in her rage against the gods and against Percy. Calypso asks where Gaia was for the last 3,000 years to be, like, making these accusations now. Like, she's not any better than the gods because she hasn't tried to help her. Gaia's like, the earth is slow to wake. And I'm like, please, that's not an excuse. Well, does she have to go through, like, bureaucracy? It's like HR being like, we can't get you a raise. (laughs) I put in the applications above my head. Yeah, you're literally Mother Earth. (laughs) What do you mean? 
Like, maybe set a stronger alarm. I don't know. <laughs> Gaia encourages Eclipsa to kill Leo and join her. And Leo's like, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't she? She's just the perfect reason for her to want to kill me. But instead, Calypso banishes the figure of Gaia, and she tells Leo they have work to do in order to get Leo out and save his friends. So chapter 52, Calypso and Leo work nonstop, and they work well together. Calypso's dressed in normal jeans and doesn't look that much of a, like a goddess anymore, making Leo look swoon a little bit. Leo suggests that if they get the boat working, she leaves with him. She turns it down, saying that any hope or chance of escaping for Leo would be ruined if she joined. Leo asks why she cares what happens to the rest of the world, and she says that while she hates the gods, she can see how they're better for the mortal world than titans, and they're definitely better than the giants. Leo asks her to make a little flame-proof bag for him, and also give him a little bit of her crystal. He doesn't expand on why, he's just like, can you do that for me? Calypso says yes, and then starts helping weave wires, and they joke a little while about opening up a metal shop together, mashing it with a vegetable garden, and um, they make a plan to make Calypso and Leo's um, workshop. And they work well together for a little while. After two nights, they finish the GPS and they're sitting on the beach at a campfire planning the boat that they will have to build. They think it will take about another week to get it together and then set sail. Leo is anxious to leave, but now he's feeling sad that he has to go. He's like, I wonder why. <laughs> Calypso is confused why he spent so much time perfecting his GPS. She, he says that leaving will be easy, but coming back to find and rescue Calypso will be hard unless the GPS is perfect. He tells her it's only fair after all she did for him, and he can't start their workshop garden shop without her. Suddenly, he notices something bobbing in the water. It's the magic raft! <laughs> Leo is super confused, but Calypso grabs him and tells him he has to go. She doesn't know how long the raft will stick around. Leo is confused why the raft is here. It only shows up for guys Calypso falls in love with. Calypso is crying and tells him she hates him and then kisses him, which stuns Leo and leaves him speechless. Calypso essentially kind of throws him into the raft and turns away as it starts to move. Leo is shocked, but then remembers the last line of the prophecy, an oath to keep with a final breath. So he makes an oath on the river Styx to come back for Calypso. And I was like, the romance is peak. Uh, this have, is enemies to lovers done well. Yeah, done well in the, in the fact that it's done four chapters. It's very quick. It's just a cute little mini story within all of the chaos and Percy and Annabeth's tragedy and Jason and yes. Pepper's blandness. And Hazel and like Frank, my, I guess, are dating. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Mm, whatever. Yeah, because I feel like one of the reasons a lot of enemies to lovers doesn't do it for me often is because they're enemies because they are, like, genuinely really mean to each other. Yeah. You know? Like, I like no offense to dreary shippers, but, you know, I'm like, he's really, like, they're not nice. That's very problematic. But, um... This one, they're just enemies because they're annoyed with each other and for no actual reason. <laughs> yeah, and it's just they got off on the wrong foot and neither of them are willing to say sorry because they both think they're correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like in, uh, you know what was Enemies to Lovers done well? The most recent Bridgerton season? I loved the most recent season and I, I know that died. it's cut. 
<laughs> it was a controversial. What, is it controversial? Is it? Well, it is. I don't so care. some people I've talked to are like, "Well, it's really slow." The Bridgerton we were presented with with season one is like a lot of sex and a lot of explicit content. I thought it was too fast, but it was better in season two because like, there the was consent. <laughs> yes, yeah. and it was like so much build up. Yeah, so much better. So depending on who you talk to, like if you if yeah. you're watching Bridgerton because you want to get your like you know. 1800s porn thing together yeah. i guess season two is not for you but if you like a well, bit of good enemies <laughs> i mean it's it, it's not immediately it's gratifying. a different i feel like it really says something about the person you know and their tastes <laughs> <laughs> we're not saying our taste is better we're just saying you're well. wrong <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, so my notes i kind of went on a little bit of a spiral I always forget Leo is younger than Percy, Jason, and Annabeth, because, mm-hmm. like, he's only 15, and we know Jason just had a birthday, so I think he's supposed to be 17. I think right? so. He's either just turned 17 or just turned 16, because I don't know if him and Leo were the same age. I don't know either. And then, because Percy was 16 at the end, at the beginning of... The last one. Yeah, so he's yeah. about to turn 17, and Annabeth just turned 17. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a, a bit of a gap. Not as much as Hazel. Hazel's <laughs> a baby. A literal baby. <laughs> but Leo's actually pretty close to Nico's age, because Nico's, like, 14. That's right? true. Oh, that's weird. I didn't know yeah. that. Hmm. So when you think of, like, Percy and Nico, I mean, obviously Percy met Nico when he was, like, 11, so it's a bit different. But, um... Leo's technically in that category of like a little brother. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I was like, you can tell how much I love these chapters because if it was like Jason and Piper going through something like this, I'd been like, yeah, and then they talked. (laughs) (laughs) I like tell you the lines, yeah. Be like, they have a moment, whatever. (laughs) Whatever, gross. Um, I was curious, do we think that Calypso would fall in love with Jason? Oh, I don't know, because she did fall in love with Percy, but it kind of felt like she didn't really know Percy that well. Like, almost she was more in love with the idea. Like, it seems like her history is that she likes to fall in love with stereotypical heroes, which is why this Leo one is different. Yeah, but it's also like she, at this point, was promised to be released, so she's harboring a lot more resentment mm-hmm. than she normally would. So if someone like Jason fell into the island, I have a feeling that she would just eat him alive, because she's had enough. Probably. Yeah. And he'd constantly be like, I must return to my girlfriend. Yeah, and he'd be like, my <laughs> honor. <laughs> my honor. <laughs> this also made me feel a little bit woozy. I think we talked about it last in the PJO, too. Um, Odysseus is canonically... 35 to 40 years old when he comes yeah. to the island. And I'm like, you're telling me he fooled around with a 15-year-old? Sure, she's eternal. Sure, she's probably got like a couple thousand years on her. But like physically and mentally, in a lot of ways, she is 15. Yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. like how old she's written to be in the Odyssey. Like other than like a thousand years old or whatever. I'm sure like, her- is it's described She's just described as, like, a beautiful uh, seductress, basically. Yeah. And um, to be fair, though, like, at that time period, and especially the Greeks are famous for, like, Mm -hmm. Greeks and, well, Romans, too, like, young women, right? So she's, like, 15. She's the correct age. Yeah, big no on that age gap. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and just you know the the legality of it is a bit <laughs> it is not legal no but i guess the greeks didn't have those laws <laughs> no no they did not mm-hmm. my last note is imagine how heartbroken calypso who's like lived through this scenario so many times she's like for sure that leo's not coming back I'm sure there's a couple things different about the situation, but she's like, can't afford to have any hope. And then he comes, I'm assuming, he comes back. I'm so excited. Oh, so cute. Um, anyway, those are my notes. It actually was not as long as I thought it would be, so that's good. (laughs) They're pretty quick chapters, like, for how much changes in the course of them, of their feelings towards one another. Yeah. But it's, I, it doesn't feel rushed. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I believe that their feelings change at that pace. I mean, to be fair, though, he, like, explicitly gives them several weeks together rather than just being over the course of three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know time passes. Yeah. And that they, they, they interact for a lot of that working together and getting along well. So it makes yeah. sense that they would, like, soften towards each other. Also, Leo is ready to wipe anyone up. So, like, yeah. this is just ideal for him. <laughs> oh, Leo. 15 years old. Ready to, mm. ready for a wife. Ready for a wife. He's been dreaming about it. Apparently. All right. I've got the Annabeth chapters 53 through 56. So, chapter 53, as we left off, there was, like, darkness approaching them. It is time to meet the literal personification of night, Nyx. And so let's do a quick myth background on Nyx. All right, so Nyx, there's not a lot of info in the sense of, like, there's not a lot of myth surrounding Nyx. Nyx is just, like, the child of chaos and darkness, one of the first eternal beings, and births a lot of different gods, like fates, dreams, pain, death, friendship, day old age for some reason as a god or like an entity that they that they birth and it's not always bad it's like a mixture of just things and so depending on the author too it's like either there's chaos and darkness and that's where nyx comes out of or just nyx is just like the first being that just like is the creator of everything after existing she's so cool very cool and the fact that she's about to fight annabeth and perceive terrifying yeah, well, don't worry. <laughs> they trick her with the, the stupidest way possible, and I love it. <laughs> All right, so Annabeth describes Nyx as almost too much to take in, and I'm just going to read this paragraph because I was pretty much typing it verbatim and was like, I'll just read this. Looming over the chasm, she was a churning figure of ash and smoke as big as the Athena Parthenos statue, but very much alive. Her dress was void black, mixed with the colors of a space nebula, as if galaxies were being born in her bodice. Her face was hard to see except for the pinpoints of her eyes, which shone like quasars. When her wings beat, waves of darkness rolled over the cliffs, making Annabeth feel heavy and sleepy, her eyesight dim. Which is very cool. I like the idea of void black, like, more black than black, edgier. Interesting. (laughs) She shows up in front of Nico and is like, oh, you think you're a goth? I'm void goth. I'm void goth. (laughs) She also has a chariot pulled by two dark horses, which she named Shade and Shadow, (laughs) which is so funny to me. She's so extra. 
It also, Shade and Shadow sounds like a novel in the YA fantasy category. 100%. Yeah, like that would probably be, I wouldn't be surprised if something was put out called Shade and Shadow. She tells her horses not to eat Percy and Annabeth. Not because she's nice, though, because she wants to kill them herself. Mm. So Annabeth goes to her favorite stalling tactic and tells Nyx that the brochure didn't say much about her, which of course piques Nyx's interest. Annabeth claims that they actually got a tour brochure of Tartarus, and to that I was like, I kind of want to make this. It sounds so funny. <laughs> With, but, your, like, really good word art and just, right? like, on publisher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Canvas, please. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sophisticated. <laughs> but she says that the brochure didn't mention Nyx at all. Percy then begins to play into it, claiming that they actually came to Tartarus for a tour. They got the brochure and were like, we want to go see this. It's more interesting than the underworld. They want to see exotic destinations. But apparently seeing Nyx wasn't listed on one of the top ones because she's not newsworthy. This pisses Nyx off, who claims, I am the mother of all terrors, the fates themselves, Hikati, old age, pain, sleep, death, and all the curses. Behold how newsworthy I am. Like that she names every child of hers. <laughs> no, this doesn't even cover it. So she only named four of her favorite child's children. Yeah, well, she claims not to have a favorite, but the children, they fight they can for it. feel it, They're yeah. They to fight. So chapter 54, Nick slashes her whip, and I said, of course, she has a whip, and an army of shadows appears, including more winged Ari, the curses. Annabeth reigns in her fear and panic and tries to stay calm and unimpressed by Nyx's army of darkness. They say that they have to head out for the next tourist destination, that, like, you know, this isn't that interesting. They all wouldn't show up in photos anyway, so they don't want to stick around. And they need to get to the doors of death, which goads Nyx into saying, Mortals such as you could never reach them except through the halls of my palace, the mansion of night. So she reveals to them a way to the doors of death. But she's like, you have to see all of my things. Behind her, they see a doorway of black marble floating in the abyss of chaos. Annabeth knows that that's the way forward, but the jump looks absolutely terrifying. And if they miss, they fall into chaos and are scattered into nothingness. Plus, Nyx and her army stand in the way. But Annabeth gets an idea and forces her rational mind to work louder than her fears. She tells Nyx that they can take a photo with them, because they're tourists, but that a group shot won't work because there's just too many of them and she needs Nyx to pick her favorite child. This naturally creates chaos among her children, debating who best embodies darkness. And they all try to prove their darkness and it makes everything pitch black. Like they can't see anything at all anymore. Nyx can't see anything and it's like, where'd they go? Annabeth grips Percy's hand, asks if he's ready, to which he says when he realizes what she's doing, he says, Poseidon's underpants. <laughs> As a, like, curse word? I don't- I was like, what? But I like it. His dad's underpants? Yeah, that's the part that's a little weird. Like, imagine just being like, my father's underpants. As a swear word? Not into that. <laughs> Use a different god. <laughs> yeah, we could have said Zeus. Maybe you Use can't your... say any other god, because then it invokes their wrath. But if yeah. we can get to them down in Tartarus, maybe they deserve to, like- get a little fried, you know? Yeah, true. Also, like, using someone else's parent would be like using your friend's dad. 
Just That's don't also need to mention. Odd. You just don't need to bring up the underpants. Yeah, it doesn't need to be there, Percy. But I find it funny. And so together they jump into the darkness and head towards the floating doorway. So chapter fifty-five, they make the jump. Annabeth and Percy run into the darkness of the mansion of night, and the squabbling sound of Nix's children get more and more distant. In the distance ahead of them, Annabeth can hear a throbbing sound like a heartbeat because they're heading towards the center of Tartarus, which is the heart, which is where the doors of death are. It fills her with dread, but she runs towards it with her eyes closed. They both have their eyes closed because they just don't want to see any of the horrors that are in this house. Um, And she, even though she smells smoke and hears torches, she's like, keep your eyes closed, Percy. And he's like, yeah, I know. Soon they hear the sound of flowing water, so they know they're close to the exit. She starts running faster towards the exit, and the chapter ends with, She began to run faster, which would have meant her death if Percy hadn't stopped her. So chapter 56. Percy pulls Annabeth back from a ledge, and he holds her. He senses that there's water below them. They can, he, they can hear it, but he can sense that there's something wrong with the water. It's full of voices crying out in agony, saying, like, I didn't mean to do it. I, it wasn't my fault. It was an accident. Make it stop. And so this is the river of Acheron. Yeah, sure. Acheron, the fifth river of the underworld. The river of pain, a river specially made for the damned, namely murderers. The river decides to taunt her and show her images of everyone they've known that has been killed and claim that Annabeth is also a murderer because she could have prevented these deaths. And she sees images of Bianca, Zoe, Michael Yu, Selena, and Luke. Percy tells her not to listen, that he's also hearing the same things, and then says that he thinks the moat is the border of Knight's territory, so they've got to jump over the murder river. They jump, sail through the air, and thankfully land on solid ground in the dim red glow of Tartarus. They land in a valley that looks like a giant heart, with a big booming noise shaking the landscape and the terrain glistening with dark red and blue scar lines. So it is the heart of Tartarus. The valley is covered in monsters, an army which is guarding the doors of death. Bob then appears, with small Bob on his shoulder, happy to have found them. He says that he took a different way because he couldn't go through the House of Night, but he went some way that only Titans can go. So together, they hope that the Death Mist works and masks their location from all these monsters. They head towards the doors of death. Um, my notes, I love the way that they distract Nyx because it's so silly and it really reminds me of like the first Percy Jackson book. All of their oh, yeah. nonsense that they got up to and how they, like it makes me think of the one, what does Percy claims that when they try to go down to, um, when they're with Charon trying to go to the underworld and Percy claims that they all died in a bathtub. Like, <laughs> Together. Like it just, it's giving that energy and I love it. Um, I also was like, is Nyx a girl boss? Oh, she's 100%. such a mom. She's like a mom boss. She's a milf. She's a Nyx is a milf. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Bold statements here. Thank you. Thank you. And I also like how there's just this through line of Annabeth and Percy are always like holding hands and jumping into stuff. And I'm sure that's like, there's some metaphor there with them just like, they're together, but they're Leap going into faith. things. They're taking yeah. leaps of faith. Like, it makes me think of in the the last Olympian when they jump. They're in Olympus and they like the 
all the buildings are crumbling and they jump and Percy like saves Annabeth and it's very similar to like Tartarus except he does not pull her up. Instead, she pulls him down or he chooses <laughs> to jump. Um, they have a lot of jumps that they take together and it's very cute. Very cute. I, like it. I love it. Fun tip, jump with your SO off of dangerous things. <laughs> We're gonna get sued for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for saying Nyx is a MILF. Someone will take that personally. <laughs> Why? Because Nyx is your mom? No, I'm not. I don't think I'd be a child of darkness. No, that's definitely like me. I'm not edgy enough, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if only. Nico wants to be. I'm sure he thinks Nyx is so cool. There's a poster oh, yeah. of her in he has a, <laughs> he has a poster <laughs> in his little Hades cabin <laughs> that no one else is in. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for lightning bolt questions? Yes, ma'am. All right, so this is more of a debate. Mm. I think that we can discuss. A discussion, if you will. Mm. Um, If you were stuck on an island with someone forever and, like, this person's not a bad person. This person isn't, like, you know, Republican or, like, anything like that's, like, <laughs> would be, like, big red flags for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could eventually fall in love with them? Like, you're stuck on this island forever with them, and you spend all your time with them. I feel like, yeah, but it, it might be in, like, a Stockholm Syndrome kind of way of, like, there's no one else. Yeah, so, okay, um, with that being true... <laughs> Do you think Calypso actually loved any of the people on her island, or is it just Stockholm Syndrome? I feel like she didn't, especially, like, I feel like she just loved the idea of some strong hero showing up on her island and falling in love with her, even though they didn't really, which is really sad. Like, I think that's, that's why I do like this narrative with her and Leo, because he's not that normal archetype of all the characters that she's had to fall in love with we only know of percy and odysseus like canonically but yeah because i'm also wondering like can you imagine the god send her a woman and she like learned something about herself hell yeah yeah oh i like that idea they're like haha you'll never fall in love with they'll be stuck here forever and she's like psych I also wonder, does platonic love count? Like, Ooh. suppose you someone falls onto the island. And again, this goes back to, like, you're stuck on an island with somebody who's not, like, a bad person. But, and you spent all of your time together. And maybe you're not attracted to them because it's not conventional. But you obviously, like, start caring for them. And with love, like, friendship yeah, with love. Yeah, like, you love right? them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Is that I the like same? That. I don't know. Because the way it's written in the Percy Jackson universe, too, like... The love that she felt for Percy and even Leo at this point isn't necessarily like nothing really happened. I mean, she kisses Leo once, but nothing really happens. It's not like it could just be kind of a foundational platonic love. Yeah, you could argue that. I would, but I would say that maybe more with Percy and Odysseus because she doesn't, especially with Percy, she doesn't really know much of. About him because they don't really yeah. hang out. He's knocked out for most. With of Odysseus it, so. though, she's with him for like a long time. Isn't he there like ten years or something stupid? Yeah, she tries to have kids. I think she does, or she tries to have kids with him and traps yeah. him into marriage and stuff like that. Depending on the narrative, she definitely has sex with him. Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is extra, which is extra weird. I don't want to think that she does this in this version because she's 
such a kid in this version. Though I'm yeah. sure the Greeks also had a 15-year-old or something ridiculous. Yeah, but I'm sure, I mean, this is a children's book. I'm sure yeah. that they didn't even mm -hmm. consider in 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 uh, Rick's version, Odysseus is also 15 when he comes yeah, yeah. And they just hold hands a lot. Yeah. <laughs> For 30 years or something. For 30 years. <laughs> But yeah, I like um, yeah. the idea of platonic love also counting, because you yeah. can argue at this point, like, she might have a crush on Leo, but I wouldn't say, like, and, and same with Percy, I feel like you can't be in love that quickly. Yeah, and also, like, in, in forms of curses, like, platonic love would also hurt. Like, you love someone a lot, yeah. and you're alone with them on island, and they still manage to have to, like, get to leave, or they have to leave, and they leave you alone. It still reinforces the curse just as well, so I don't see yeah. why the gods would remove it, unless they just, like, I don't think the gods have friends, so maybe they just don't think mm, about it. They don't it. understand friendship. No, they don't. <laughs> Actually, if the enemies. gods did, I feel like um, Percy Jackson would have been solved a lot faster. Like, PJ would have ended really quick. I kind of feel like Trials of Apollo, that's the whole thing. <laughs> the power of God friendship. friendship. God. <laughs> oh man, I have no idea how this is gonna go. I'm excited. As we get closer, I'm kind of like, oh, it'll be an interesting read over interesting. the next, yeah. know, next year. It'll be a fun, quirky read. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, one of the questions I came up with is, if you were on a tour of Tartarus, what attraction would you want to see the most? I'm not gonna lie, as you were, like, you know, talking about, like, Annabeth and Percy closing their eyes as they went through the Mansion of Night, um, or the Night Mansion, I was like, I would open my eyes so quickly. <laughs> I would want to see everything. <laughs> it's like a haunted house, but, like, worse, but also better. That sounds amazing. My eyes are open so wide. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to drink i really want to try the fire water like it sounds cleansing and painful <laughs> like painful but like you it sounds like it feels good afterwards like a ginger I'm shot try that. yes like yeah like a ginger a shot. shot i love yeah. ginger shots or i'd want to go to damison swamp because i think he'd make me some some good soup you would go on in with like Shrek souvenirs and yes. be like, is the ogre here? I would bring a Shrek DVD and be like, do you have do you have a Blu-ray player down here? Do you guys There's something streaming? you have to see. Yeah. I think you'd feel really understood. I think we can sue DreamWorks for this. Yeah, come on. I have a plan. Thank you a lot of money. Yeah. And okay, my last question is. What would you want to be the embodiment of, of a as a goddess? Like how Nyx is the embodiment of darkness. And also, what would you actually be the embodiment of? Oh my god, I love... No, wait, no, I would hate... This is the thing. I loved the idea that there was an old age embodiment. Like, oh, right? So it's so stupid. funny. <laughs> Amongst all of the other ones, like fates and darkness and day and all of that stuff and there's the old age there's a grandma who's sitting in the corner angry and grumpy that's so funny um i don't know do you have an answer i need to think about this one for a second um i probably should have thought of my own answer <laughs> i feel like looking at some of the ones that they have i mean friendship sounds nice being the embodiment of death sounds cool yeah that but would be i really cool. i think like in reality i'd be the embodiment of like 
a little tummy ache or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be the embodiment of, like, anxiety. (laughs) Of nervous tummy. I'll be the embodiment of walks, I think. Oh, hot girl walks. Hot girl walks, which is, like... That's fun. Kind of boring. I think I'd want to be something cool, like the embodiment of, like, courage and bravery Ooh, and all that, that cool. stuff. And then yeah. I'll just be, like, something much very just, like, minor mm-hmm. walking. <laughs> Not even walking. Going on walks. Ooh, Not that's good. Does yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's, like, more specific. Yeah. What would you, you just, like, constantly, you'd be a, like, goddess with, like, a water bottle. <laughs> I'd have the whole fit, you know, like, sports yeah. bra, yeah. biker shorts, a little, like, crossbody fanny pack, headphones and on. you had to have a moment with someone, you'd be like, walk with me. <laughs> walk with me. You need to walk for a little while. Walk and talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Okay. Next week, we will be doing chapters... 57 through 64 so we will get to see jason again you know see how he's processing the existence of gay people Mm. and then we go back to percy so if you're interested in supporting us you can find us on patreon the link is in the episode description as well as a link to send us an audio message you can find us on social media at camp half pod or you can email us camphalfpod at gmail.com if you haven't already we'd love it if you rate and review of course, we only take five stars, so choose wisely. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>